Around the throne was 24 thrones, and on the thrones 24 elders dressed in white clothes with gold crowns on their heads. Verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and thunder. Burning before the throne were seven fiery torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was something like a sea of glass, similar in crystal. In the middle and around the throne were four living creatures, covering with eyes in front and in the back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around and inside. Pay attention to this. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. Let that sink in. They're never stopping. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was and who is and who is coming. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne. They worship the one who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, and they say, O Lord, our God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, because you have created all things, and because of your will they exist, and they were created. We'll pick up reading in Revelation chapter 5, verse number 9. It says they sing a new song. Stop right there. You realize when we get in the presence of our Lord, it's going to be all things new. You see, we live in a fallen, Adamic world today, sinful world today. The ground is cursed, the weather is cursed, man is cursed. But when we get there, our music is going to be so pure. And there's going to be a new song that we're going to be singing. And the song's not going to be after some worship leader and lifting him up. It's not going to be after some great band and lifting them up. It's not going to be after a church. It's not going to be after some preacher. The song is going to be after. It's going to be in tribute to the one who died for the sins of the world. To the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. That's the new song we're going to be singing. And they sang a new song. You are worthy. They're singing to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood for every tribe and language and people and nation. Oh, just let me stop right there and say, I I can't help but share this. Every time I read this passage of scripture, it's a part of the dream that I have for Victory Church one day. I want you to notice what it says in verse number nine, the latter part, after it talks about how Christ is the one that's. To receive work, to be worthy and honor and he redeemed people for God by his blood. Look what it says from every tribe and language and people and nation. You see, part of my dream for Victory Church is that one day Victory Church will be a diverse group of people, multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-race, because I want us to have a church that resembles a little bit of what heaven's going to be. A place with no prejudice whatsoever. 
where we're all brothers and sisters in the person and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the blood that was shed there. Amen. Will you help me make that dream a reality by reaching out across the, the racial lines and reaching out across the ethnic lines and reaching out across the cultural lines and reach, reaching out across the socioeconomic lines that are that are drawn in our world today? Will you help? Will you just reach out to someone as they pass by your way and help me make that dream a reality and invite them into Victory Church? Will you do that? Because there's a place for everybody around here. Amen. And why would that be? Because there's a place for them around the throne. It says they sang a new song, and as they were singing that new song, it was it came from the tongues and the lips of every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Verse 11, and then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. And they said with a loud voice, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth and on the sea and everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and dominion. To the one seated on the throne, to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Boy, it's just really difficult for me to read that and not get a little bit excited. Let me tell you why. Because we as believers in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ will one day be counted in that number. That one day is going to be around the throne worshiping our God. Today I want to speak to you on worship. Habit number four of a healthy church. We've already covered three habits. We've talked about how habit number one is leadership. Now these aren't in any particular order. There's one not more important than the other, so don't get that. It's just we're just sharing them as the events roll through each and every week. This is our fifth Sunday. At Victory Church, every fifth Sunday, we observe communion and we serve communion. And I thought how appropriate to speak on worship on this particular Sunday. But habit number one, we talked about leadership. How there must be leadership from the laity. There must be all of us finding our place in ministry and rising up to be godly leaders in that particular area of ministry. Habit number two, we talked about evangelism, how we must reach out into our community In that particular message, we shared with you the strategy of Victory Church, our evangelism strategy. And that's simply just servant evangelism. We call it SE. And we'd like for you to get involved in our SE events, our servant evangelism events. There's going to be more and more that take place, but some of them that we've participated in are going out in the communities and the parking lots and just washing windshields. When a storm comes by, we take off in our trucks and our chainsaws and we go out in the spirit of love and in the spirit of our God and just clean up people's yards and don't charge them a thing, just showing God's love in a practical way. At Christmas, we set up a booth in the entire month of December, every single weekend, including Christmas Eve. We were there just wrapping free Christmas gifts, not charging anybody anything, not taking a donation, just showing God's love in a practical way. We also have gone over to Scott Air Force Base and to our the airmen and ladies that are there. 
We, our ladies and our, our church family prepared a home cooked meal and we took it and served it to our air men slash lady, air persons, I guess, to be politically correct, uh, to those individuals and served a good home cooked meal to them. And then played some games. Now, Guitar Hero, I'm pretty good at. The drums, I'm horrible at. But we had a good time playing and interacting. That's our evangelism strategy. We just simply want to show God's love in a practical way and go out and try to meet some of the physical needs of the individuals in our community. And while doing that, share them the great, share with them the greatest gospel message that's ever been delivered. And that's the love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our evangelism strategy. Last week, we talked about habit number three, which was discipleship. And how we must be a church that's growing in our faith, that spirits get into the place where we become spiritually mature. And by the way, I don't guess we'll ever arrive to that place in this life. There's always room to grow. And boy, please don't tell me you know all there is to know about the Bible, because really you're just showing your, and I'll be kind, ignorance. (laughs) Oh, we've got so much to learn. I've studied this book for 20, 20 plus years. And the more I dig in it, the more I realize I don't really know a thing. Boy, heaven's going to be a place of learning. But while we're here, we want to grow. And our, our, our discipleship strategy is our D6 strategy, where we are trying to come alongside the family. And that's why families are in here today. That's why we're not having children's church today or nursery today. And I know it may be an inconvenience for you, but it's, we're, we're helping you as parents to take the spiritual role in your family. And we want your children to ask some questions today and next week about what took place today. Daddy, why did you drink that cup? Daddy, Mama, why did you eat that bread? Tell me what was taking place there. And that's going to create an opportunity for you to be the spiritual giants and mentors in your home. And that's why we intentionally have everyone in here today and all of our kids. So I hope you will understand that. But that's our strategy. Our D6 strategy is is to try to come alongside the families and connect the family and the church so that mom and dad are the spiritual giants. Today we're talking about worship. Habit number four is worship. And I tell you guys, in order to be a healthy church... We must not be slack in coming together to worship our God. We should not come in here and apologize for that. We should not come in here and wonder if somebody's going to look at me funny, if I raise my hand or if I clap my hands or if I give a good hearty amen. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. You'll find those type of worship all through the scripture. I'm going to share some with you in just a moment. But guys, listen, whenever you are focused on a holy God, I don't know about you, but there's something within my heart and my spirit. I can't sit still. I just can't keep it in me. I mean, there's something that's got to come out of me. And I just want to say, praise the Lord. You want me to tell you why I praise him? Because I remember who I used to be. You want me to tell you why I praise him? Because I remember where I used to be going. You see, he redeemed me. He saved me with his blood. When I was unlovable, by the way, all of us are unlovable. Amen. He loved us when we were completely unlovable. He loved us and died for us even before we were born, knowing what kind of people we would be. But yet he said, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you on the cross. And I'm going to shed my life's blood. And I tell you guys, if we come to God's house and we can't focus on that and we can't enter into a spiritual uh, 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 form of worship and a, and a time of, of worshiping God in our hearts and in our spirits, I, I think there's just something, something wrong with us spiritually. I would question our salvation. I mean, there should be something about you that when you come and you see the elements, and I don't know about you, but as I see our communion table today and, and, and just the softness of what's taking place up here, My heart's moved because I'm thinking, 
He did all that for me. And I don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve someone to die for me. I don't deserve someone to take my place for the sins that I've committed. But he said, John, I love you. And he called your name as well. And he said, I love you. And I forgive you. And I want to redeem you. If you'll just believe in me. And accept me. I've paid your sin debt. And I don't know about you. But that just creates some excitement in my heart and in my spirit. When I realize that somebody loved me that much. That was willing to die for me. Today we're talking about worship. Take out your sermon notes if you will please. And I've tried to put some things there for you. I've put a lot of scripture in there. I'm not going to be able to unpack all the scripture that I have in your notes today. But I wanted you to have that so you could take it home and you could do a little bit more study as we think about worship this morning. But here's the first thing I want you to jot down. Fill in this blank if you will. Worship is a verb. I want you to write that down. Worship is a verb. In other words, it's something that we do. It's, it's an attitude. It's an activity in which we pay homage to a holy God. It's something we do. It's not something we just sit back and watch. It's something we engage in. It's, it's an action word. By the way, all of our habits, and we've got our other two banners coming in. One is leadership. I haven't spoken on stewardship yet. But the leadership, I want you to notice the leadership is going to say lead. But I want you to notice the main words and what are they? They are what? They're verbs. They're action words. They're something we do. We honor our God. We grow in our faith. We reach our community. We lead with leadership. And I'll unpack the rest of them. Listen, guys, being a, being a Christ follower, being a Christian, it's not something we just come and sit and soak and eventually sour and just kind of endure. It, it, it becomes who we are. It, it's what we do as a person. And worship is a verb. It, it takes in our attitude. It takes in all of our activity. I want you to write this down as well. Worship is our response. And I posted this on Twitter and Facebook. You've probably already seen this. But worship is our response to God's revelation of who he is and what he has done for us. Now, just let that soak in. That's really what worship is. Worship is our response to God revealing to us who he is and what he has done. And whenever we get a good understanding of who He is and what He has done, there will be a response that comes out of us that will want to pay homage to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And friends, that is called worship. And whenever folks struggle a little bit with worship, I don't really know how to engage in worship. Well, I just wonder, and I question, I'm not saying you're not. But I question, have, have you got to the place where you have a good understanding of who God is and what he's done for you? And boy, that should trigger something in us spiritually. To want to raise our hands, to want to clap our hands, to want to dance before the Lord, to want to sing before the Lord because of what he's done for us. Worship is our response to God's revelation of who he is. And what he's done. Let me give you an example. Here's a few examples of who God is. And I don't have these in your notes for you. If you would like to have them, I'll be glad to email them to you. Just shoot me an email and let me know. 
But here's a few little things that, that we can just glean from Scripture. Now, I'm just, I am not going to give you an exhaustive list by no means. Time will not permit me to sit here and go all through Scripture and share with you everything that Scripture reveals about who God is. But here's a few that I poured out for you. When we're talking about who God is, God is an almighty God, Genesis 17, 1. He is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 and 6. He is the King of Kings, Revelation 19 and 16. He is the Lord of all, Acts chapter 10, verse 36. He is our Savior, 1 Timothy 4, 10. He is the Redeemer, Titus 2, 14. He is our Counselor, John 14, 26. He is our friend, James 2, 23. He is our Healer, Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He is our Comforter, 2 Corinthians 1 through 3. And I could go on and on and on with an, ex- an exalted list, but I won't. Listen, guys, that in and of itself should be enough to want us to, something to stir up in us to want to worship him. That's who he is. Let me share with you a thing, a few things that he has done. Our God has created the heaven and, and everything in it, Genesis 1. He overcame the enemy, Colossians 2.15. He died for our faults and for our sins, Romans 8 and 3. He chose to dwell with us, and not only with us, but in us, John 16 and verse number 7. He loved us with an everlasting love. He justified us, Romans 5.18. He called us his children and heirs in Romans chapter 8. He gave us a new life in Romans 6 and 4. He has set us free in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 15. He has forgiven us. In 1 John 1 and 9, and boy, there's so much more you could dig out of Scripture. Guys, I want to challenge you. I want you to spend some time with God in prayer and in His Word and get to know who He is and what He has done for us. And boy, if you can really start digging out those truths of the Word, it will certainly help you to enter into true, genuine, spiritual Worship. And when we have that understanding, there will be a desire in our hearts to want to enter into worship. Very quickly, let me give you five or six different postures or expressions of worship. First of all, there's bowing down. And all through Scripture we can see, and I read to you in the book of Revelation and and all through other Scriptures, there's many different references to individuals that would bow down before our Lord. In a physical expression of genuine worship. You see, whenever we bow down, it's a position of listening. It's a position of listening. It's of ready obedience. It's a waiting to receive instruction from our God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 33 and 3, it says, Indeed, he loves the people. All your holy ones are in your hand and they assemble at your feet. Each receives your word. A form of worship is simply just bowing down before God. Psalm 5 and 7 says, But I entered your house by the abundance of your faithful love. I bowed down toward your holy temple in reverential awe of who you are. Psalms 138 verses 1 and 2 says, I give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing your praise before the heavenly beings. I will bow down toward your holy temple. Guys, how long has it been? Have you ever just entered God's presence? And just bow down before him. Now, I'm not saying you've got to come in here on Sunday morning at 1030 and get out of those chairs and put your face on the ground. But there should be some time in your life, maybe in your private life and in your devotional world. And when you get together, just you and God, there ought to be a place, friends, when you just bow down. And you just fall on your face before a holy God in a reverential awe of who he is 
and what he's done for you. And friends, that's worship. You see, there's a lot of people who really have never gotten to that place in their spiritual life. They remind me of, of the dad and he was traveling with his young boy and a toddler. And, and while they were in the car traveling down the road, the dad was saying to his son, son, you need to sit down. And the son would sit down for just a moment and they're traveling a little bit further down the road and dad would look up in the back seat and there little Johnny was standing up in the back of the seat. He said, son, sit down. And the little boy, very disgruntled and upset at dad, finally slammed down in the seat. Next thing you know, he's jumping up again. Dad said, sit down. I mean, he is so angry, dad is. The little boy is a little bit disturbed. And he sits down in that back seat. And dad said, now you stay seated. and You sit down. The little boy said, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) You know, a lot of times we as God's children have that type of a spirit and an attitude in our heart and our life. We may go through all the physical expressions, but I wonder on the inside, is our heart bowed down to him? Have we got to the place where we've just fallen before him and realized that we're nothing without him? How we need him in our lives. There ought to be that expression of bowing down at some point in your life. Another expression we find in God's word is the lifting of hands. Not only the bowing down, but the lifting of hands. In Psalm 134, in verses 1 and 2, it says, Now praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand in the Lord's house at night. Lift up your hands in the holy place and praise the Lord. Psalm 119, 47 and 48. In verse 48, it says, I will lift up my hands to your commands, which I love. And I'll meditate on your statutes. I'll simply just lift up my hands. Lamentations chapter 2 in verse number 19. It says, Arise and cry out in the night from the first watch of the night. Pour out your heart like water before the Lord's presence. Lift up your hands to Him for the lives of your children who are fainting from hunger on the corner of every street. Lifting up our hands to the Lord. First Timothy chapter 2 in verse number 8. The scripture says, therefore, I want every man in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. Oh, what a wonderful expression of worship when we get in the the presence of a holy God and we simply want to acknowledge his presence and us humbly falling before him with the lifting up of our hands. And guys, I just want you to know that's always in order here at Victory. If you ever feel moved of the Lord to just lift up your hands and worship You feel free to do that. That's certainly in line with Scripture. And we want to honor that. Amen? Not only is there the bowing down, the lifting up of hands. Thirdly, there's the clapping of hands. There should be some times in our life when we get so excited about who God is and what He's done for us. That we just want to give Him a a standing ovation. And we just want to clap before His presence. And that's always in order. Psalm 47, verse 1 and 2, it says, Clap your hands, all you people. Shout to the God with a jubilant cry. For Yahweh, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great King, full of truth. Hey, guys, there's nothing wrong with getting a little bit excited. Hey, may I remind you that this is the church of the living God. Amen? Not a funeral home. We don't come in here and celebrate just simply a death, but there's also a resurrection. Amen? He's alive. Can we practice? He's alive. So let's give him a praise offering. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. It's certainly a form of worship. The fourth expression of worship I'll share with you is dancing. Dancing before the Lord. And how beautiful it is. And I've been to some churches that have 
dancers that come on the platform and in a spirit of worship dance before the Lord. Sister Monica Woods has done that for us on a couple of occasions. One of the most beautiful expressions of worship that you can visually see. And oh, I'd love for us to have more and more of that. Harold, when Monica gets home, or maybe some of you are able to do that. Now, I'm not. I have to do it in my private space, okay? But there, is, there are some individuals that are gifted with gracefulness that can come and just enter into an expression of worship through dance. And I would love for Victory Church to have a dance worship team. You say, I don't know if I like that. Why, it's in the Bible. Amen? And this church is going to be built on this word. And if it's there, we'll practice it. If it's not, we won't. Hello? Say amen or oh me. Right here is the final authority in everything that's said and done. It's certainly biblical. You see it all through Scripture. King David even danced before the Lord. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that. You don't want to see me do it. I'll do it in my private worship. But maybe there's some of you that are gifted with the gracefulness and the ability to be able to lead us in worship through dancing before the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful. I love to see that. Another expression of worship is singing, musicians, choirs, all of that. We see all through Scripture. And I could, give you, I could give you many verses of Scripture where it talks about the worship leader and where it talks about the choir and it talks about song specials and it talks about instruments being played. And for those that have musical ability and for those that have singing talents and ability, you should be using those in an expression of worship to God. Whether you're on the platform or whether you're in the congregation, whenever we have congregational singing, whenever we ask you to stand and sing with us, we're not asking you to stand and watch a show. We're, we're inviting you to enter into worship with us and to lift up your voice to a holy God. Amen? So you take advantage of that. You'll find um, in Nehemiah chapter 12, many other passages of Scripture. But there, Nehemiah put singers at different stages as he was rebuilding the wall and had worship leaders in place. And they sang in worship to our God. Number six, jot this one down. and This is what we will be experiencing today. But eating is a form of worship. In Scripture, you'll find where they celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And all of that was a, was a focal point on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was to come, that was to be slain for the remission of sins. But eating is a form of worship. Now, I'm not talking about longhorns and go out there and get a big old steak. and Nothing wrong with that, but I'm not talking. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiencing worship through the eating, the partaking of communion, which we will have in just a moment. I want you to understand that all of these actions, and there are many more, make up part of the worship of God. You see, all of these expressions are outward expressions of an internal attitude of our response to who God is and what He's done. Now let that sink in, guys. All of these are physical, outward expressions of an internal mindset an attitude of what our God has done for us and who He is. And I want you to look for those opportunities to be able to share some visible outward expression of worship through the biblical ways and many more that I have shared with you this morning. 
They're always in order at Victory Church. We welcome them into our worship experience. Okay? You okay with that? I mean, in wrapping my message up this morning, and there's, you know, I guess I really struggled over this message today. And my biggest struggle was I had so much content. I mean, I was up till nearly midnight last night still shaving things out of this message. And I told my wife this week, I said, I'm struggling. I've got so much material from God's Word dealing with worship. What exactly am I supposed to share? And so I just had to just get along with God and just shave some things away. And there's so much more I can share with you. If you'd like to have some of my notes, let me know. I'll send them to you on email. But let me give you three keys, I think, to worship as we wrap this up and move into our communion service. Experiencing God in worship, I think, requires, at minimum, these three keys. Key number one is this. Time. Just time in God's presence. Just spending some time with God alone. You see, for us to really engage in worship on Sunday morning, we must have prepared our hearts and our minds in our private time with just us and God before we get here. Amen? And guys, if we're really going to engage in worship, if we're really going to have a change of heart and mindset and attitude and have a response of God's revelation of who He is and what He's done for us, we must spend time. It's imperative that we spend time with God alone. Mark 1 and 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He got up and went out and made His way to a deserted place, and He was praying there. Now that He is Jesus Jesus got up early in the morning and he went away to a place where he could be totally isolated and completely by himself. And there he would enter into the presence of the Heavenly Father and pray and commune and talk with God. Guys, we must do that. In Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, But the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But yet... He would often withdraw to a deserted place and pray. You see, the need was always there for Jesus to be on the main stage. There were always people to be healed. There were always throngs of people that were pressing against Him, that wanted to hear His teachings. But He knew where His power came from. And it came from His total dependence upon God the Father. And he knew it was imperative for him to get along with God and commune with him. I remember as a boy growing up in Penelope Baptist Church back in Hickory, North Carolina. I'd go there with my mom and I remember sitting in the worship service with her and she had her Bible open and she would, she was a note taker and she was always taking notes. She was writing in her Bible in different places. I remember I saw her writing in her Bible this particular phrase and the preacher was just hitting it and hitting it and hitting it from the pulpit. And later on, when I got home, I found her Bible, I opened it up and I read it. And here's what it said. It stuck with me. Still to this day. It's a very powerful image. Matter of fact, I've got that Bible now and it's in my study. But in the fly leaf of that Bible, my mother wrote these words and she said this. God will never use you publicly 
unless you use him privately. Let that sink in. God will never use you publicly unless you use him privately. In other words, get along with God. Guys, listen. I don't care what ministry we're in. You'll never have the power of God resting upon you until you get along with him one-on-one. And you let him fill you up by yourself. Just you and God. And then you go out and you do ministry from the overflow. Amen? Listen, I don't want to wait till I get here to get all wound up and filled up. I mean, hey, I'm here to share something today. I mean, i got to get along with God prior to coming here. Now here I'm going to share, but I hope everything I share with you is just what's running over and out of me. Amen? And by the way, we're all leaking vessels. And we all need to find those moments when we get along with God. Oh, we got to spend time in His presence. Key number two is you must count the cost. It's going to cost you something. Key number two is to count the cost. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 and following. Hebrews chapter 10 are some scripture references. But in Luke chapter 9, it says, When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to go to Jerusalem. In verse 57, And as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens. The birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then another said, or then he said to another, follow me, Lord. And one said, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury the dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at the house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and look back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about there? He's talking about simply, in short, that it's going to cost you something to follow God. It's going to cost you something to follow God. And what we need to do whenever we think about entering into worship, realize, hey, for me to engage in true spiritual worship, there's going to be a cost. It may be a time limit, it may be sacrifices, it may be family that I'm going to have to leave behind. But it's going to cost me something. And Jesus said, the foxes have dens, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, I'm always moving and traveling. Have you counted the cost? True spiritual worship will cost you something. And key number three, and there's probably many more you could add to this. But I had to cut this message off somewhere. Key number three is to remember that it's all about Jesus. Remember, it's all about Jesus. Luke 10, verse 17 and following. It says, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us. In your name. You see, it's all about Jesus. The name that is above every name. The name in which every knee one day will bow. And every tongue will confess that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Today as we enter into our time of communion, I want you to remember... That what we are partaking of 
And what we are doing is a form of worship. It's where we realize that Jesus died for us. That his body was broken as he hung there on the cross. And his blood was shed. 